Welcome to the Aversion Podcast. I'm your host, Zainab Yate, author of When Breastfeeding Sucks, What You Need to Know About Nursing Aversion and Agitation. Welcome back everyone and I'm sorry it's been such a long time. In this episode I chat to a good friend and colleague Jenny Stiller about our recent research into breastfeeding and autism. So we look at neurodivergent people and how this affects breastfeeding and lactation. So if you've ever wondered whether you're on the spectrum or you've actually been challenged with parts of breastfeeding that you don't find easy to discuss with your care providers or with your friends and family because you're not quite able to put it into words but you know that there are some things that trigger you this might be a particularly interesting episode for you to listen to we hope you find it useful and get in touch we would love to hear your stories and any questions that you have Okay, hello everyone, and I'm so delighted to finally be here um, with you, Jenny. This is long overdue. I know we've been supposed to be having a chat about our latest research article that was published in Clinical Lactation for some time, so we've finally gotten around to it, and I wanted to share it with everybody. So, for those of you who don't know, Jenny Stiller is a board-certified paediatric nurse practitioner. So, you know, she's got all the stuff. But also an international board-certified lactation consultant and certified neurodiverse lactation specialist, which we will go into. And her work includes private practice, international speaking events, research, and neurodiverse lactation curriculum, which is highly specialised, and I believe she's the only person doing it at the moment. And in early 2022, this year, she founded the Neurodiverse Lactation Education Centre, an online resource providing neurodiverse lactation education and training to professionals. When she's not working, she's homeschooling, has two children, enjoying the outdoors and looking for the next perfect yarn project. Didn't know you were a yarn. Knitting or crochet? (laughs) It's, it's crochet, but I am trying to get into knit. Oh, gosh, I didn't know that. I have to uh, show you something afterwards that I've done. I'm actually a crocheter. But, uh, oh, my gosh. I know, my heart goes out to you. So it, <laughs> we, what, what's so strange, actually, about Jenny and I is that when we met, which, which we haven't in person, person it, we sort of really clicked and I don't know if that's because of our our love of this work or our similar sort of lifestyle or just in general so I don't know when you reached out everything just fell into place and even the research at least on our terms really opened up um yeah and it was so easy and it just made so much sense but um yeah so where should we start at the beginning Always at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> so we initially yes. touched base together last year. 
Yeah. I, well, maybe it was. It was. Wait, was at the maybe at the end of 2020, possibly. Gosh, it's been more than a year. With everything that's been happening, I don't think we noticed. And actually, with how long it took to publish our article, you you would all be quite surprised. <laughs> yes, it took quite a while. But I want to back up because I do want to tell your audience uh, what I was telling you earlier was that before I met met you right through this is that I had this kind of grown-up crush on your book and all the work you were doing um, and I didn't realize I had read the book I had recommended this to several clients you know I that I didn't realize I was also following you on Instagram oh my gosh uh, as yeah. breastfeeding a virgin so I once I had connected all the dots and I I I, I just, I don't know, I felt like we we were talking about similar things. Yeah. Um, and I remember kind of just asking you like, hey, do you know anyone who would be interested in working this up further or kind of doing some more research? And you were like, yeah, maybe I do. Um, I'll look, I'll, you know, ask around. And I'm not gonna lie, I I thought, oh my gosh, Zainab brought me back. <laughs> really? I thought, oh, this oh is God. huge. She I'm talked right to me. <laughs> Oh, great. Well, now I don't feel as special. Oh, no. I do. I do. Well, I do. But I, um, but I secretly, I wanted to do this work with you because I see it so uh, often. So when people were coming back with like, yeah, no, sadly, they were coming back with like, hmm, is this relevant? I don't really understand what you're asking. Yeah. Um, I was, I was even more spurred on to take it further because I just thought this is something I'm seeing every day it needs to be done right how, how are people not jumping on this as a research avenue i didn't get right it. i think when we talked yeah then we got we we uh set up we met on zoom for a little tea and <laughs> and um right we were both it almost as if we were kind of echoing you know each other oh. our experiences and what we were hearing from our from parents and just what we felt pulled to do with this work so as you said, it did feel really natural, and I felt like we we knew each other even though we hadn't ever met. So yeah, yeah. And now to find out about your crochet addiction, <laughs> okay, this could be <laughs> feels the deal. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. So what what happened is I think initially we we wanted to I guess we wanted to talk about it, so we did do a live. Um, but we were also in the process of writing a paper about it because we realized the importance of, I guess, evidence-based um, research, something that we could stand to our name, that we could um, advocate for, for parents, breastfeeding mums, anybody who yeah. felt like some of these symptoms or some of these um, difficulties they experienced in their infant feeding journey hadn't been mentioned and so mm -hmm. that's essentially what we did and it was sort of a long road um a lot more difficult than we thought it would be um, yeah. Yeah. and i believe it's the first paper specifically looking at um those who are neurodivergent and their sensory sensitivities um, especially and um, Right. Yes, I wanted to add that. Right, the lactation component, the the sensory sensitivities, and neurodivergence, specifically autism. Right. When we, you and I, did 
a lot of research trying to find how do we how do we connect these dots in the research forum to what we're seeing in our practice so that we can you know put something out there that is evidence-based and we both were like that's right struggling finding anything that was specifically looking at lactation now we found some things that had to do with uh pregnancy uh, we did also find a really uh, good article, but it wasn't looking specifically at breastfeeding, and it was actually kind of anecdotal that parents were started to share about their sensory sensitivities with yeah. breastfeeding. And the authors of that paper thought, oh, we hadn't thought to ask about that. <laughs> specifically. Yeah. I, I mean, I think when you're looking at um, the gestation, you know, being pregnant, and then the mothering experience, overall, it can overshadow the specific activity of, of breastfeeding and some of the sensations and things around lactation but also because we know in general it's not really an important field in the world of research you know in terms of the number of published articles so I, I found that difficulty about you know half a decade ago a decade ago looking at it that's why in, in my book there's only really one sentence that sort of refers to mums or autism basically because I was so wary of just putting something out there without any research because there wasn't anything I could cite but you know and I know I mean almost on a daily basis we see it every day uh, and it's hard because it, it it's like half the time mums are not sure if it applies to them because they haven't been diagnosed and the other half of the time, then they're not even sure it's a thing because they haven't considered it for themselves. So it's like a double-edged sword. You're not sure how, quite how to move forward. Like we were talking about it earlier, that most, most of those who are neurodivergent and who are women are known to mask. So that's going to be another added layer of difficulty in identifying these different sort of different challenges that you can experience but when you ask them they're so specific and they know exactly what difficulties they are and that I found is just so clear to me so it's so uh yeah it's just so clear and it, and it has to do with specific touch, specific noises, lack of movement, you know, easily categorizable. And I'm sure you've, you've found that too, because you actually one-to-one -one feel clinically with struggling that come to you for support. Right. And very, you know, much like you were just saying, is that a lot of parents don't know that they have sensory sensitivities. They may have been told they're highly sensitive or just too sensitive. They may not even have any diagnosis, autism, mm -hmm. anything of that, but they may have known that they experience life differently. And as you said, once we start just asking a few questions about touch, about movement, like you said, it's very clear. It becomes very clear. Oh, right. I don't like to move at all. Or I can't sit down. I have to. I have to be just kind of moving all about. Um, and I've got one of those fidget spinners that my kids use, and uh, but I don't really need it. So I also hear them right, kind of um, trying to make 
yeah to make to somehow right what what am i experiencing um and we were also talking about this that uh autism specifically as is more commonly diagnosed in childhood yeah there was a, so much research about autism in childhood and then it drops off but what we know is that it extends through the lifespan yeah and we we're, we're seeing a lot of parents uh as they go through their children's diagnosis and assessment they start to recognize some of those same characteristics in themselves yeah so yeah yeah i see that um i see that a lot particularly in women actually um because of our because in our field a lot of the times the those are the specialists are women trying to support other women because they've gone through difficulties so um I do see that I do see that more now which is in a way a good thing but the difficulty is I guess the acknowledgement so mm-hmm. to be acknowledged or you to be sort of believed in order for you to take the step to have some sort of interventional change because otherwise if it's denied then you end up doing I guess what actually a lot of people with autism might do anyway which is mask because you you quickly realize that actually people are not accepting of this or people don't experience this so i'm just going to um push it way down uh which mm-hmm. can imagine, i i I've, I've seen it uh make things worse especially with breastfeeding um so if you're trying to divert your attention from particular uncomfortable sensations or parts of the activity you don't like that can only last so long and it's only so effective um mm-hmm. until true nature of what you're struggling with comes out so and i think that's what we wanted right. to cover in our paper we we began with you know where are we at where are we at now um mm-hmm. and like you said there's a good body of literature for children there's a good body of literature or well, not a good body of literature but there's some information about um pregnancy some information about parenting um and struggles with autism i think there's some information about birth was there a paper so um there's actually not a lot in comparison to other fields and then and then there's really the paucity of information about lactation and breastfeeding is so little that we needed to get it down Um, and I think that's what we've done. I think it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it was clear. Yeah. It was well, for us it was clear all along. Oh, yes. I <laughs> you're right. <laughs> but I, but right, I think you would agree that we we ran into some uh what would you call them? <laughs> Roadblocks or <laughs> um, uh, hurdles, stop signs. Yeah, and I Yeah, I think what Oh, gosh what surprised me the most about that was um uh, in a field where i i just thought there was more open-mindedness awareness acceptance of differences and disabilities uh instead right i think what we came into contact was with was the opposite of that and a lot of questions about why this is relevant and how many people are there quote like this and quote out there um and are these people really having children and breastfeeding 
Mm-hmm. Um, so this paper, I think for both of us, right, was was more than just we need to get this information out there for you know those that are in, experiencing this personally, but for the other professionals who need to hear this. Yeah, it was. Um... Yeah, in a way it was therapeutic to Mm -hmm. provide something to say, hey, this is happening. Um, But I was surprised as well. In a a way I'd experienced a lot of that with the aversion work. Mm -hmm. Um, People are sort of scared about talking about negative emotions and about the challenges of breastfeeding. And I sort of understood where they were coming from. but as you can see, as soon as you um, do the work, then the people struggling come out um, mm-hmm. and then the cycle begins. And we're hoping, you know, that there's there's more information out there, that there's more support out there. And you're already starting that. Tell us about your program, because this is, I mean, it's going to be the, the go-to place, I think, because you've got the the know-how to really articulate what's going on and then you can give support on how to do clinical assessment and also what what interventions to do and what helps so this is yeah. really exciting and it's the first first sort of thing out there so let's go <laughs> yeah yeah let's go thank you thank you for um right i mean i i think what we saw was uh, the lactation providers and people who did want to know more about this and they were seeing it in their practice but they weren't sure what it meant is this aversion um, how do we even get there from here and after doing uh, you know a couple years of webinars through big lactation organizations I just really felt called to put together this program that would be helpful for lactation clinicians that would offer them the like you just said the advanced assessment skills that they need to help and support someone who is neurodivergent so we're autistic adhd who might see dyspraxia um, kind of those things that fall under that umbrella and then the advanced exam skills that would be really important Mm -hmm. well just to Um, let you know that we have both have six children so if we're interrupted that's just the deal that you're going to have to take yes (laughs) that's right okay all right so um advanced assessment the Mm -hmm. intake process which looks different um the interviewing skills how to just hold space for someone who needs more time to process information before they can come back to you um the advanced exam and then care plan it looks different we're not just giving out the same typical scenario. We really have to tune into that individual and their sensory needs or their sensory aversions. Mm-hmm. So this program would be as a certified neurodiverse lactation specialist. And I think it's really going to change the architecture of lactation care. We've really got this very narrow focus and uh, I'm inspired by Zainab, I'm inspired by you, and I want to expand the way we care for these parents, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I sort of can't express enough about how the sensations 
and the limitations of what you're able to do or not do when breastfeeding have such an overwhelming role to play in whether you enjoy it, whether you can continue, whether you get negative or positive emotions, whether your mental health spirals and, you know, it just, there needs to be a, you know, we need to level up, I think. We need to level up in differential diagnosis, all the different nuances of the different conditions people can experience and I guess what their needs are based on it but we've I mean I've I've seen huge changes in the way people I guess are able to manage their what is essentially a full-time role if you're breastfeeding when you acknowledge identify support um, offer interventions and these are not surgical interventions they're not harmful interventions they're not their adjustments, their management, their changes in perception, their changes in environment, you know, and when you know, you know. So the, the more I spoke to you, the more uh, sort of apparent it became how there's specific symptoms and specific needs. So I think we categorised some of them, but your, your yeah. course is obviously going to go into it in a lot more detail. So right exactly it goes into a lot of detail and like you said we're 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 qualified to do these this screening and to ask these questions and make these these interventions without harm we're not doing anything medical as you said um, no surgical interventions mm-hmm. and we can't change what's happening in the breastfeeding right even with aversion we can't change the physiological experience of the body but we could work on ways if we knew what things were overwhelming on the outside environment we could work on minimizing that so that the body could just work on processing the physical sensations we could find different ways to just create a more calming space Mm -hmm. and and like you've mentioned and you've seen in your work is that the masking and pushing it all down and trying to pretend or people encouraging you to just try and enjoy this when it's uncomfortable creates a lot of resentment for the experience Mm -hmm. for all the things and that's not how it should be no and it's just it's not even that there's there's pain and discomfort which one massive area especially if you actually have a sort of physiological sensitivity which which occurs people have variations Mm -hmm. in pain sensitivities and preferences to touch and things but there's the real I mean there's such a body of literature about the overwhelm that can happen if you're neurodivergent um, and there's specific reasons why and processing is one of them and if you're able to just prevent the overwhelm you know that can just make make everything so much more manageable because with overwhelm in in different groups of people you get the flight or fright response you get the shutdown you get and imagine you're having an overwhelming sort of reaction to something you have to do so often um breastfeeding and then or even if you're having it when you're trying to talk to a healthcare professional then you know there is it called mutism or right yes, selective yeah, mutism yeah you don't have the words after that i'm just going to talk <laughs> Yeah, so um, we, we really we really want to address that. So how, how are you going to get support if you can't find the words and if you're not allowed to say what you need 
or express what's going on. That's a huge part of, you know, healthcare professionals' role, like you said, holding space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, anyone who's listening to this, I would invite them to, to just think about that right now is that how difficult it can be for someone to verbally articulate their needs and do, you know, in their practice right now, do they have a way to support that? If someone has a lot to say, but they can't get the words out, do we have an option with a tablet to point to some common concerns? Do we have even just a laminated sheet of paper with a yes, no? Mm-hmm. Have we have we even offered a way for someone to respond that doesn't include an audible response? Mm-hmm. Um, and are, are we allowing time it's, I think it's more uncomfortable for the typical person when there's a, a quiet or delay. We mm. think automatically we should fill that space or that mm. the person's not interested when in, when in this case, if, um, it might just be processing. It might be an overwhelming sensory sensation that has to just move through a little bit before the words will even make their way out. So. I mean, that's just so interesting, that that sort of nuanced um, angle of looking at a situation. So it's true that, you know, if you were to say most people feel uncomfortable with um, finances, then, well, yeah, you're probably talking about most neurotypical people feeling uncomfortable (laughs) with awkward silences. But actually what's Mm -hmm. happening in in someone who's not neurotypical could be a whole bunch of things going on so it might not be very silent in their world you know they kind of need that time and space and it's just being aware of uh, offering that and so like like you said the different mediums uh, to use in practice uh, whether it's just clinical assessment and also just getting the care plan together working with the client or patient or um, person to get the, the care plan suited to their needs because we're all so so different but there is a very clear pattern of um, topics that you have to cover when you're looking at those who are neurodivergent and I think that's essentially what you're going to be what you're going to be doing and I mean if anyone wants the paper we are as the authors of the paper at liberty to send it to you if you reach out yes. and we are happy to send it to you it's written in um mostly lay language so you know we've identified our terms and definitions and we try and make it as clear as possible to show you know what these areas are to consider and you know as soon as you've read it it's going to be one of those things where you begin to see it everywhere you go yes yeah yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, i was gonna just say the same thing for those that have read it um and and their feedback has been that wow yeah i hadn't even considered this oh you know that this was out there and then once they read it and they were you know it just became also very clear that yeah this exists and we've been missing it we've been overlooking it Um, and you're right in the paper we do um, outline the different ways 
for people to adjust their screening, the different adaptations and different clinical considerations. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, it, you know, it's not, it doesn't go against any sort of IBCLC code of practice because clinical assessment is completely within the remit and duty of care, as is, yes. um, as is differential diagnosis. The differential diagnosis is not making a diagnosis as a medical doctor is. It's, again, within the scope and remit um, duty of care because then you can refer appropriately, if, for example. I mean, it's just a huge area that is a big Sort of bugbear of mine where any any difficulties other than bog standard ones sort of gets thrust into the same oh it must be depression and here's some SSRIs and I, I just get that very, very you know up, upset that that because it's taking pharmacology and that has its own side effects and it's also worse for the, for the person taking it if, if the mum doesn't get any um, alleviation of her symptoms in addition to taking a new drug she's going to feel worse off and so if there was a very simple differential diagnosis you could suggest hey you know have you considered being screened or assessed um, with someone who's able to look at autism or neuro- neurodivergency in um, mm-hmm. different groups of people and and or you know is it depression have you been screened and properly assessed for depression or are they just giving that to you um and then with aversion and dysphoric milk projection effects and just lots of the things you said even the nuances of dyspraxia that they all have different slight needs right adhd as well mm-hmm. so it's all well within your scope to do it and also just to be aware of it because something can click as a light bulb moment in some people and it just needs to be sort of verbalized and said, or the question needs to be asked, and then all of a sudden it can come rushing out, you know. You know, actually, I can't stand this, and da 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 da, and like, you know, I can't stand sitting for so long, and it's, you know, I have to keep moving, but I can't move, and some people, they don't, there's some mums that don't know how to breastfeed in a sling, or bre- one of the things I love that you mentioned that it just seems so commonsensical but I didn't think of it is to get a rocking chair or a swivel chair or yeah, something that allows that, that allows the body to move while the yes. dyad is still it's just like <laughs> genius and no I personally I've seen people come back and say the mums are like uh, this is amazing it's changed the way I do think particularly at night when I find the nocturnal adrenaline can really kick in very quickly Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they found a way to sort of survive the night feed. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah, just things you wouldn't expect, like putting a weighted blanket around your feet and, or sort of tying yourself up in a way, like you maybe yes. swaddle a baby, uh, brings so much sort of comfort and calm and and actually mm-hmm. makes the feeding session enjoyable and you, you just see a shift and it gives you so much hope. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, you mentioned the screening process and I think when we, when we ask, you know, do you have any sensitivities to movement? We're asking already about, do you have sensitivity to dairy? It's not out of scope or, um, you know, something so outrageous to ask about. So we're just kind of adding that in there, but it really helps, like you said, someone feel seen and heard. 
to ask those questions and then navigating the support to really line up with that like you said a spinning office chair can make an amazing space you know if we think about this sensory safe lactation space what does it look like for that person and if we can create that for them in their in their home if it includes like you said using that kind of tight uh not binding but a tight feeling to calm the nervous system then that makes the act the act of breastfeeding and lactation easier to process and tolerate and that can minimize some of that aversion or resentment to the activity itself yeah so and if we just, know we, yeah. mm-hmm. and it prevents the cascade yeah. of other things which can make it worse so you know yeah. if you can prevent the knock on effect and get it at its root it can have yes. a huge, um a huge impact on someone's feeding journey and we're hoping also on the length of time that they you know continue to feed and just in general it's the experience of birth breastfeeding lactation it doesn't really leave you it, you know you will always remember it for good for bad for better for worse and you tend to sh- share it as you grow older in different ways it's a it's a very big part of your life you know it defines you in a way so we want to be able to i guess make it better for those we can um and that's right that's part of our work <laughs> yeah i mean we're not right i don't think we have this idea that we could make something uh you know that it won't be hard <laughs> but mm. that really just that we see we see you at wherever you're at right now and that we want to help you get through this journey the best way so just like you said when you retell the story to your children and your grandchildren that you retell it with a fond heart that you you know there were tough times but you figured it out and you had a great team of people to help you do that so yeah um so yeah get in touch if you want the paper get in touch with Jenny when do you launch yes. do you have an official launch date or it's going to be yeah. yeah you know what i'm going to be launching this is going to go live this program the certified neurodiverse lactation specialist program will go live in april it's autism acceptance month so okay. i thought it was very relevant to put it out there um uh so you can go to the neurodiverse lactation education center website nlec.com and find out more information there um keep checking my instagram which is the lactation spectrum i'll be posting there as well and i just invite anyone who's interested in this to you know who's curious about it to contact me you can send me a, a message or an email on my website i want to hear from you and um just see how you can get involved yeah this is really exciting i'm so happy about knowing about the program yeah. um and when i'm back on my feet i'm not seeing any clients i'm not doing anything at the moment um but when i am i will be the first to enroll um just to level up i just i just want to be filled <laughs> with it you know you need to feel confident when you're helping moms and, um so we'll leave it there and okay. i guess we'll post this online and wait for the inundation of <laughs> Yes, of of comments and feedback. I have to wait 10 I don't really 
I yeah, I right. I think we both are in the same place. We're inviting everyone to to show up. Tell us your experience. Tell us yeah. what's not working. Tell us what you think about this. And I think I'm just gonna also put out there that if you've got a really good yarn stash, <laughs> put that out there too. <laughs> we want to see pictures of your crochet masterpieces. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll just share really quick before we go that I am ADHD and I have a very strong need for movement. My brain is attentive to everything in a space. I don't know why some people would say it's inattentive, but I, everything catches my eye. I have a hard time focusing because I want to focus on, you know, 50 things at one time. So I use crochet throughout my college, my higher my master's degree classes while breastfeeding my children to help keep my brain it wanted to be busy and I didn't realize that's how, what crochet was doing for me was wow. that it was giving my brain the busy the attention it needed to focus at a, if that makes sense so okay. if anyone's listening and you can res if that resonates with you but uh, I had a, a really great nursing instructor who allowed me she said that's fine i quilt while i'm learning and it just really i felt i felt heard i felt seen that this is okay that my brain needs to do this thing so that i can actually pay attention and, and it works mm -hmm. yeah. when you yeah. get to do what you need to do things can work i know exactly we will leave you with that note and yes. we are here to you know, allow you to do the things that you need to do because we know it will help yeah. things work for you. So yes. take care, all the best until we are recording again for another piece of information. Um, okay. And to Lou for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.